Our reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, and this can be found on page 1179 of the Church Bibles. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Hilary, thanks so much. Well, please do uh, keep your Bibles open in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at that together. Um, It's good to be with you again. Uh, It's a few months since I was uh, last uh, with you. Uh, I'm pleased that since I was last with you, you've appointed a vicar. Uh, Well done to all involved. Uh, Nick uh, Nick and I were at college together. He was teaching. I was a student. Um, And uh, he's a great guy. So uh, that is something to look forward to as a church family. Uh, Before we come to this passage, let me me pray for us, uh, praying that God might speak to each one of us. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you that as we read it and uh, look at it uh, closely, uh, that by your spirit you will speak to us. I pray that you might speak to us individually. uh, Help us to know how best to put your words into practice. uh, That each one of us may become more like the Lord Jesus whom we love. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever played uh, that game of uh, what you might call uh, fantasy characteristics. You know, which, uh, which characteristic of uh, someone famous uh, living or in history would you want to take on uh, for yourself? Uh, perhaps you would like to take on uh, the Queen's steadfastness. I'd love to be steadfast uh, like the Queen. Uh, perhaps you would like uh, to keep the royal theme of the style of Kate Middleton. Uh, Perhaps you'd like to uh, score goals like Harry Kane or uh, hit runs like Joe Root. Perhaps you'd like to have the the business acumen and the the thought process of Elon Musk. Perhaps you'd like to uh, sing like Adele. Uh, What fantasy characteristics would you uh, love to have uh, for yourself And uh, perhaps uh, in this uh, fantasy game, perhaps you can only pick five. I wonder whether you'd pick the characteristic of humility. Would that be in your top five? Or uh, perhaps another one, what about obedience? If you could just pick five characteristics, do you think obedience would be on your list? I suspect it wouldn't. But Paul as he writes to the Philippians, thinks it's really important. And I wonder if you were going to uh, pick from Jesus, say, what fantasy characteristic would you pick uh, from Jesus? Would it be his humility? Would it be uh, his obedience? 
humility and obedience, I don't think they're the natural characteristics that we, uh, that we long for. That if we could just pick five, that those would be our go-to. Uh, but in chapter 2 of Philippians, uh, Paul really wants to major on who Jesus is and what he's like and how as Christian believers we can imitate him, how we can be more uh, like him. And uh, the beginning part of chapter 2 is all about imitating Christ's humility. That's the, the section uh, title that it's given there. It says, be like Jesus, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And then he gives the example of Jesus in his ultimate uh, humility. And then as he moves on into uh, verses 12 to 18, uh, Paul really wants us to imitate Jesus' obedience. He talked in verse 8 about how obedient Jesus was. Uh, look back at verse 8 with me. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, there's his humility, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here is the ultimate example of obedience, uh, Jesus himself going to the cross. And then that is how he begins his next little section to the Philippians. He begins with a therefore, at verse 12. Therefore, so in light of what's happened before, in light of what I've just said, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue. His message here is one of continuing obedience for the Philippians. It's an encouraging letter. He knows they're already doing this, but he wants them to continue in their obedience, just as Jesus himself was obedient, even to the point of death. And so this uh, this whole section is about becoming more like Jesus, imitating him. But how do we do that? Paul's going to give us some advice. What are we going to do that? What does that look like? Well, three things this morning that we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see how we work it out, uh, how we live it out, and how we shine it out. Uh, firstly, uh, how do we work it out? Uh, verse 12. Uh, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, In life, uh, order really matters, doesn't it? Uh, We need to get things in the right order. Uh, If you're baking a cake, uh, the order really matters, doesn't it? It matters uh, whether you uh, crack the egg before you put it in the bowl. Uh, It matters uh, whether you put it in the oven before it's mixed. There's a, a recipe, an order to follow. And if you don't get the order right, it won't work you'll probably make a mess. Uh, Order matters when you're driving a car. If you try and change gear, uh, there's a certain order to follow. If you don't follow the order, uh, you'll get a loud crunching noise. The car will probably stall. If you're getting dressed in the morning, order matters. I suspect you didn't think about it, but I suspect there was a very particular order about the way you got dressed this morning. And I'm thankful that you followed that order. Uh, You're all looking uh, great this morning. 
But order matters in life. And so order matters that when we come to talk about the things of God as well. Because when we uh, read something like this, uh, this verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a danger that we think, gosh, fear, trembling. I've got to get this right, haven't I? I've got to work out my salvation. And we hear the word salvation and think, gosh, if I want to be saved, if I want to be loved by God, then I need to work, work at it. I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, What we think in our minds is, um, if I'm obedient then God will love me, won't he? If I work out my salvation, then God will love me. But the order of this really matters. He begins verse 12 with a, uh, with a key word. Therefore, my dear friends, the, the word is, uh, beloved, those loved by God, he wants to remind them first and foremost that they are loved by God. They are Christian people. They are people who have already been saved. They are people who already know God's salvation. And then he says, therefore, beloved, because you're loved by God, now work it out. Now work out, follow through on your salvation. You see, the obedience that he talks about here isn't isn't the root to God's love. It's not that we obey and therefore he loves us. No, this is how we respond to God's love. Order matters. He loves. And therefore we're called to obey. We're called to uh, work it out. To follow through on his salvation. It's uh, it's the difference in in kind of theological language between uh, justification and sanctification. Justification has already happened for Christians. You're already declared to be righteous, to be saved by him. But this, uh, this word sanctification, this is the process of working out our salvation, what it means to live as a Christian, to become more like him. The order matters. Beloved, loved by God. Obey, work it out. And we may read this word fear and trembling. We think this kind of grates a little bit. This uh, letter to the Philippians is a letter of joy. It talks so much about joy. It's a positive letter. And then this seems to grate. It's like he's trying to twist their arm to say, you better work out your uh, salvation because God is to be feared and you should tremble. I think that is true to the point. He, He wants them to take this seriously. He wants them to know that this is big stuff, that the Lord, as we've sung, is holy, holy, holy. He's, he's awesome. He's mighty. But, of course, that's what makes his love even more incredible. And that's where joy really comes from, knowing that the God of the universe, the God who is holy and mighty and awesome, calls you beloved has sent his son, has humbled, who has humbled himself even to the point of death. That's how much he loves you. And we, we need to hold these two things in tension, that on the one hand, God is uh, rightly to be feared because he is awesome. We tremble because he is holy. And yet we rejoice because that same God has humbled himself, given himself 
for us. And so he says to these uh, Philippian Christians, uh, your uh, beloved ones loved by God, you've always obeyed, whether I've been with you or not. Now continue. Keep living like this. Continue to work out your salvation. But, but note verse 13 as well. Continue to work out your salvation for it is God who works in you. Again, there's a danger we think, gosh, I've, I've got such a high standard to live up to. I've got so much work to do. But then he says, no, it's, it's God who works in you. It's the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in you, helping you to become more like Jesus and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose in you. Again, we, we sometimes hear the word obedience and think, how can that be good? That just sounds hard. It just sounds uh, like pulling away from the way I want to live. But Paul says, no, this is, this is God working you for his good purpose. Uh, when God calls us to obedience, it is, it is for our good. He wants, as we obey him, to fulfill his good purpose in us for you and for him so first thing he says is is work out your salvation Uh, not to earn his love but because you are his beloved but secondly he says uh, live it out live it out he wants us to imitate jesus he wants us to work out our salvation okay but but how What, what does that look like give me show me an example of what it means to work out my salvation Okay, he gives us an example. It's there in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Okay, that's his first example. How how are you going to live this out? How are you going to be more like Jesus? Do everything without grumbling and arguing. And you kind of think, he's given this most amazing example of the way the Lord Jesus has humbled himself and been obedient, and then he says, right, here's how you're going to live it out. Don't grumble or argue. And you kind of think, is that it? It, it, it? The one example that he gives here, really, don't grumble or argue. And you kind of think, I was kind of expecting something more. But I think when, when Paul talks about grumbling and arguing, he really gets the heart of the way in which we struggle to live out our faith, how we struggle to imitate Jesus. He talks about grumbling and arguing, and the, the, um, the idea is one's internal. Uh, grumbling has this sense of the internal grumbling, and the arguing has the sense of the external, the arguing, the fighting. And I think what, what he's getting at is, well, these are the things that steal our joy, aren't they? He's so keen that the Philippians get joy, that they understand the joy of following the Lord Jesus and imitating him. But he knows that when we grumble on the inside, it robs us of that joy. And when we argue, when we fight with others, it steals joy from them. Is he far from just being peripheral, a kind of throwaway example, grumbling and arguing? Uh, This is... So important, it really gets to the heart of things. 
In, in Linfield at the moment, we're uh, going through the kind of second bit of uh, the book of Exodus. Uh, so after they've gone through the Red Sea and are into the wilderness. And uh, one of the key themes is grumbling. They keep grumbling, whether it's about uh, water or food or uh, being in the desert or not being in Egypt or not being in the, uh, the land they've been promised. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And you see very quickly in that story that uh, the internal grumbling, the moans and gripes, doesn't take long for it to turn into the external bitterness, the fighting, the thinking, we don't need you, God. It can start very small, that little grumble. Oh, that food's rubbish. But it can very quickly build into something bigger. And I wonder if, if that's true for us too, that that's where all walking away from Jesus begins. It just begins with a grumble, a moan. You see, I don't think when someone has an affair, I don't think it first begins with, with lust. It first begins with a, a grumble. Not happy, not content. When someone is is addicted to something, I'm not sure it first begins with with the drink. I think it first begins with a grumbling, a dissatisfaction. I need something else. I need something more. And whatever that, perhaps you've you've had an argument with someone. There's been a broken relationship. I suspect it built up. I suspect it began with a grumble, a frustration first. It began to grow. I think Paul wants us from the outset to say, don't grumble or argue, don't feed this sense of bitterness and resentment because it's perhaps the first stage of walking away from Jesus. You see, God's purpose in us is to Imitate Jesus to be more like him. And he knows that grumbling and arguing are perhaps the first step to walking away. And so he says, verse 14, in everything, do everything without grumbling or arguing. You see, this isn't just a, we might think of grumbling and arguing as just uh, in, in one sphere of life. Perhaps it's at home or church or whatever. But Paul says, no, this is true across the board. Whether at home or work. Uh, Whether down the gym, whether you're on holiday, whether you're uh, on the train in the morning, uh, whether you're here at church. uh, Wherever you find yourself, in every situation, this is good advice. This is good advice to keep us thinking and acting like Jesus. He says, "Don't, don't live as a complainer. Live as a child. Because that's where he wants us to go, verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. He wants you to live as a child, dependent on his father, uh, aspiring to be like your father. In in contrast, the warped and crooked generation, be faultless, be blameless and pure. Don't complain, be a child of his. He wants us to live it out. He wants us to live like Jesus. And he gives this example, don't grumble, don't argue, because that's where sin grows. 
Don't feed it. Rather be like him. Thirdly, final, finally, shine it out. Work it out, live it out, uh, shine it out. People notice when we're not happy, don't they? It's hard to keep grumbling uh, to ourselves. Um, there's that joke, isn't there, about the, uh, the horse walked into the bar and the barman said, why the long face? Um, but that's it, that's the joke. Um, but people can see it on our face, can't they? They can see it by the way we live, the way we act. They can see grumbling. They can see when we're not uh, content. But Paul doesn't want us to live like that. He doesn't want us to live in a world that people look at us and think, gosh, they're grumbling. He wants people to look at us and think, gosh, they're filled with joy. Where did they get that from? They're so different. Uh, They're not like the warped and crooked generation. They're blameless. They're pure and they're uh, filled with joy. He uses that uh, that analogy first, doesn't he? uh, Be blameless in a crooked generation. And then he uses this picture of the, the stars in the sky. End of verse 15. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Bright stars on a black sky. Different, distinct, shining out to the world. He wants us to radiate joy. He wants us to show God's beauty. He wants us to give light to a dark world, to stand out. And he's already said, verse 14, do everything. So in everything, he wants you to stand out like stars in the sky. Sometimes um, we we talk about our, our front line. Where's your front line? Uh, where are you engaging with the world? Where are you meeting people? Is that a place that you can shine? Be a star in the sky? Because that's what he calls us to. Where will you shine this week? And I, I, I think there's a danger in contemporary Christianity. I don't think it's a, a new thing. I think it's something that has appeared in every generation. That we think to ourselves... If I'm going to be out there in the world and I'm going to shine brightly, if I'm going to radiate joy, then actually there's some things about my faith that I kind of need to, frankly, hide. There's some things about the church that I need to put to one side. If I want to be out there shining brightly, there's going to need to be some things that I need to hide under the carpet. Because the world won't accept them. There's all sorts of things. So in, in a previous generation, it was, um, it was probably the miraculous. Oh, there's no way I can talk about miracles. There's no way I can talk about God and the supernatural because, well, this just generation doesn't believe in the supernatural, isn't it? And today, we, we know what some of the big areas of dispute are. I, I would suggest that probably the big ones around uh, sex, sexuality, gender. We think, if I'm going to shine brightly in the world, there's going to be certain things that I'm going to need to keep, frankly, in my back pocket, or or frankly, ditch completely. That's what we think. If I'm going to shine out there, there's some stuff I'm going to need to drop. And certainly the stuff about God being, you know, trembling and, and fearing before him. But Paul says, no, you you don't need to do that. That, that's not the way to shine like a star. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the words of life. 
Far from ditching something, he says, no, if you want to shine brightly, you're going to have to hold firmly to something. Uh, my wife's just got me into a new uh, reality TV show. I don't usually watch her reality TV shows, but this one I quite enjoyed, I'll be honest. Don't watch it, it's terrible. Uh, it's, called, uh, it's called Below Deck, and it follows the crew of a private yacht charter. And uh, if you, uh, it, this is people paying hundreds of thousands of pounds to stay on a private yacht in the Mediterranean, and it looks lovely. But one of the key jobs of the yacht, it's, it's the most boring job, but it's probably the most important, is um, what's called anchor watch. Uh, throughout the night, someone has to watch the anchor. Because uh, they, they go to a private, they'll go to like a private beach anchor up. But someone needs to be there to make sure uh, the wind stays calm, the boat doesn't move. And the worst thing actually, is just when the boat starts to slowly twist, you barely notice it. But if it does that all night, the, the anchor twists. And it's terrible, you have to untwist the anchor and it's a, it's a nightmare. It's a boring job. But someone's got to be there to watch. It doesn't happen. And it's not always easy to spot. And that is the same idea that Paul is trying to get here. When he says, hold firmly to the word of life, it has this sense of paying close attention, uh, fixing your eyes on this word of life. Make sure you hold on to it. Make sure you don't let go. Make sure it doesn't twist. Perhaps as you're enjoying yourself, as you're looking at something else, make sure this doesn't twist. And it's so easy for this to happen. It's so easy as we think, I want to hold out the word of life. I want to shine brightly in the world. And there's things that I just want to leave behind because they're awkward, they're inconvenient. The world might not like them. But Paul says, no, you've got to hold firmly. You've got to keep watch like an anchor. Make sure it doesn't move. Make, make sure you don't let go. You see, what I think Paul is trying to say to us is that those who look closely at the world are those who are most able to look out to the world. Those who give their lives most wholeheartedly in obedience to Jesus are most able to share Jesus with the world. Those who are most obedient to his word are the wo- those who are most able to live with joy in the world. You see, I wonder actually if the picture of stars isn't quite right. I wonder if the better picture is a moon. You see, a star has a light of its own, doesn't it? But the moon reflects the light of another. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to reflect the light of Jesus, reflect the truth of his word, to be like him in the world. If you've listened to nothing else, let me just finish with um, five words. Five words, I think, sum up uh, what Paul's trying to say here. He says, uh, beloved, beloved, those loved by God. In everything, imitates Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much that in the Lord Jesus we are your beloved children. 
Thank you that he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, so that we might find life in you. Help us, we pray, in everything to imitate Jesus, to live for him, to shine for him in the world. Give us grace this week, we pray, to uh, hold firmly to your word of life and at the same time shine for a world to see how wonderful, beautiful and joyful you are. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.